Hey folks, for this week's show, I wanted it quick and easy, and I also wanted a way to uh, kind of dive into some tournament talk, maybe a little bit like what Kyle and I would do back in the day. Um, So we've got Marty Stone on the show. He and I talk a fair amount of Bass Pro Tour stuff in the beginning, um, and then spend a solid 40 minutes or so. Uh, on the pro circuit in various points races and all that jazz. Um, ICAST is going on this week. I'm headed to Chase Smallmouth. Uh, but we kind of hit the ground running pretty soon after with uh, our slate of Champlain and Northern events kind of kicking off, which should be fun. But uh, anyway, here is, uh, well, myself and Marty Stone. Alrighty, and we are joined now by Marty Stone, uh, maybe the man who, he talks more about bass fishing than I would say 99% of the other people, and you watch a whole lot of live bass fishing, so uh, Marty, uh, thanks for coming on the show, I appreciate it. Jody, it's a privilege and a pleasure, and I, I will agree, that's probably my only claim in, in life, is I talk bass fishing and watch more bass fishing than probably any man alive. It's a really cool job when it's your actual job to watch people fish and uh, then talk about it. It's really phenomenal. The thing that I tell people all the time that, that where I'm very fortunate at, and most people can't say this when they go to work, every day when I leave from work, before that day's over with, I got to watch something happen that was pretty great. We're covering the leaders, we're covering the winners, we're covering guys making big moves. And, and you know, because you've been around the sport a long time, to lead a day, to win an event, something great had to happen. And at the end of every day when I walk away from work, I got to have a front row, I get to have a front row seat to watch that greatness. And that's pretty cool. Yeah, no, no doubt. And this year on the pro circuit, I mean, it has, well, really – Throughout the, you know, throughout the MLF tournament universe, there have been some, like, really legit high points. But I feel like we've seen, we've had a lot of good tournaments this year. You know, it's, there have been years where it's been kind of ho-hum and, like, you know, interesting stuff happens. But, uh, man, there have been a lot of high points so far, I feel like. I'll tell you what's sticking out to me on the Bass Pro Tour so far this year, and, and I, I'm not going to sit here and pat myself on the back, but I kind of saw this coming. It's the youth movement. Last year, I made the statement that I think the veterans in 2021 would do really well, and Mark Davis sort of jumps off the page at me having a really strong year. Kevin was solid as well. But this year, when I'm looking at this season as a whole, to me, it's the youth movement, starting with Bradley Roy at the very first event, and Alton Jones Jr., he's getting the win at Lake Fork, Connell doing his thing at Smith Lake. Bobby Lane and Ott Defoe, they're not young, but they're not old either, so they're sort of in between there. But then the last two events, when you go Ozarks, that's Wiggins, and then at Watts Bar, that's Salsey. Man, our youth have been solid this year. Yeah, and some of them, like, aren't super young necessarily, but you're right. Like, there have there been a lot – there's a lot of guys who are doing really good and have won a lot of tournaments who – it seems like it could have been their time to shine, like any time in the last two or three years, and it's happening now, which is great. 
Yeah, and, you, and we got to put it in perspective, too, as you said, on our youth side. Now, when we started the Bass Pro Tour, Junior was by far our youngest angler. Now our youngest angler out there is Cole Floyd, and he's just he's going to be really, really good before it's over with. But it takes these guys a while, one, to get to the Bass Pro Tour, and then for the maturation process to happen. So when I'm looking at a guy in the 28 to 32 range, to me, especially as old as I am, that's a pretty young angler. I hear you. I hear you. Um, did we talk about Redcrest when we did our previously unrecorded podcast or not? <laughs> no, Do you remember? No, I feel like not. we did we it. We did not. <laughs> we Let did me... not. You talking about the one in 2022 that Bobby Lane won or the upcoming one in 2023 that's coming to North Carolina? Well, that Brian Thrift will win. Maybe, hopefully. <laughs> um, I'm Andy talking Montgomery about... is going to have – I'm looking here. Montgomery, I think, is 39th in the points going up to our, our last two at Cayuga and Millax. He will have his hair on fire now that he knows that Norman is a destination for the 2023 Red Crest. No doubt about it. There is some really – I mean, basically every field has some really impressive Carolina talent. But the Bass yeah. Tour really has like kind of the cream of the crop. When you talk about Ashley, Thrift, Mont- Montgomery, I mean, they're you guys are stacked with yeah. folks who can pick apart Lake Norman. Yeah, and the, and the thing with that, too, throw Marty Robinson in that mix as well, because when you Great look point. at the Carolina guys, they win in Carolina. You know, a lot of anglers are from a certain state or a geographic region. They don't necessarily win in that region. But when you come to the Carolinas, they those boys know how to close out a big event on those home lakes. Yeah. I mean, Gagliardi almost just did it last year in the uh, uh, in the pro circuit at Murray. He yep. had, like, the biggest bag on the final day by a lot. And then, you know, obviously he won the cup there. Like, it's a. It seems like there's a pretty solid home field advantage in the Carolinas, and I. Maybe it's just because they're really good at skipping docks. I don't know, but <laughs> it it seems like you're right. There's a bit of an edge. These lakes have got. They're so fickle and they're moody. They're very very moody. Um, Norman is one of those lakes that we've got in the 23. Red Crest, and, and I'm, I'm going to be the first to say it's not the best lake in North Carolina. And then the guys around Charlotte area that love those spotted bass, they will argue with me to no end. Norman has a love-hate relationship with a lot of anglers in our state. For the anglers that are around that lake, got spots dialed in, don't mind the boat traffic, man, that's the best lake ever. Guys like myself who don't enjoy all that boat traffic, who's not a big fan of spotted bass, I'll tell you, it's one of the worst lakes we've got. It's a love hate, <laughs> but what it is, it, it's a very fair tournament lake, and it's going to be interesting one to see what our league decides on the the minimum weight. Is it going to be a pound and a half? Is it going to be two pounds? I'm of the argument of it's the Red Crest, and this is the best of the best. So I think it should be a higher standard at two pounds. It's going to make it harder. It's not supposed to be easy. And, and I think that right there in itself, but there's so many storylines for that. But when Brian Thrift woke up to the announcement that we were going to Lake Norman for the Red Crest, as an angler, 
you have certain events where that window opens up. And this is going to be one of those windows for Brian and Montgomery. Montgomery, those two, I mean, they have fished at a lot. They fished events together in the same boat on that lake. And then they fished a lot of events just as their career was blossoming on that lake. They they have forgot more about Lake Norman than most anglers will ever know. Yeah, that's uh, that's definitely true. I think it's probably. Do you think that Thrift is the Thrift or Montgomery? Are they the favorites in that event, or is it still Jacob Wheeler? Because I think it might still be Jacob Wheeler. No, I, I'm not. No, I'm going to go Thrift Montgomery. Uh, Wheeler's just, and we'll get into what all he's done and what all he's doing. I mean, anytime Wheeler, anytime Wheeler backs his boat off the trailer, he's a favorite, no matter where we're at. On the yes. red crest, I think if Jacob is being completely honest with you, he will prepare for it because his preparation is second to none. He will plan for it. He will create a strategy. Again, check, check, one of the best, if not the best, in the current time period. But when you're talking about a lake like Norman, because here's what's the problem with, with the Normans of the world. You can have a good day, but the cause of the fish population and the way that lake situates, it's hard to go back to the same area and have another good day. That just doesn't happen on the Lake Norman. That's where a Montgomery and Thrift goes, okay, I trashed them on this area on day one. Now I know I got to move to this area for day two of my competition. Now during the rocket knockout round, I need to be here. And then on the championship round, I need to add these eight areas. I mean, when you got anglers of their caliber that have that kind of experience on there, and we're talking about every fish count, they actually have a pretty huge advantage on this lake. And we're going – now, I will say this. Whether you're a fan of Norman or not, I will make the argument that at March 10th time frame that we're going is by far one of the best windows that Norman's got. Yeah, what is going on then? Do you think – is that during the spawn on Norman, or is that going to be pre-spawn in your mind? Because I feel that like – it's yeah, hot with the, lake, we've got you know. Plant. Yeah, that we've got a power plant, so we got some warm water discharge, and it will cause because of the warm water, it will cause some of those lake fish in that general area to come up and spawn first because the water will be warm enough, and you'll catch a moon too. But the big push on spawn is in April on that lake. So what you're going to have is a lake full of pre-spawners, and to me, pre-spawn that. That, that term pre-spawn is almost a misnomer in this sport. Pre-spawn should be this. We're eating as hard as we can eat to prepare for that one week we've got to go spawn. So they're going to be chewing. They're going to be flat-out biting. Yeah. I feel like a lot of guys catch them cranking that time of year, too. Like, it's not guaranteed to be a red crest brush pile jerkbait tournament as we've – you know, I'm not saying that's the only way to catch them. I think Bobby Lane sort of, you know, proved that was wrong which we'll probably get to in a sec but like we've seen a lot of guys looking at jerk baits on the graphs in the in the pre-spawn this of late beauty about norman is you're going to be able to do whatever you want it'll be dictated by watercolor if you find the stain in the back in the creeks or up in the river there'll be a really good cranking bite vibrating jig flipping skipping jigs under docks and around lay downs for the guys that go mid lake or down lake and there's an extreme clarity difference where you water clears up and a jerk bait to play um 
little swim baits will play. Fluke-style baits will play as well. So you're going to have some guys that are going to be able to lean on that forward-facing sonar, and you're going to have some guys that's going to turn the mess off and get to the bank and get in that dirty water, and they will both have success. The X factor on, on Norman is spotted bass, and can you find the big ones? And when I say big ones, they have some full ones there. And then the largemouth. Who can run the back of the creeks and run up the river and catch some of the quality? There is some good fish. I mean, four to six-pound largemouth is not uncommon. Now, it's not a lake fork where you're going to see them an endless supply. Normally, when you catch those largemouth, they give you that one-day, day-and-a-half window, and then you better go on somewhere else. So there's going to be a lot of strategy involved for that red crest. Yeah, it seems like with every fish counts, I mean, or every fish over two pounds or pound-and-a-half or whatever it's set at, seems like spotted bass are likely to be the deal, but, like, you could see someone pull something out of their hat for a day of largemouth. Yeah, and, and to your, you're 100% correct, but the, the X factor is always the fact that we're zero in weights out on each of the advanced rounds. So we go from qualifying rounds to knockout rounds to championship round. Norman is good enough with largemouth. If you hit that right window, whether it's weather, sunshine, moon phase, whatever it is, it's good enough, and there are enough largemouth in that place on a one-day championship shootout. If a guy lands on the right place and those bigger fish have moved up, that he can win exclusively on largemouth. I do feel like that. Now, you're talking about all the stars having to line up. There's going to be stars and three moons have to line up to make that happen, <laughs> but it is doable. Um, I guess... Maybe let's hit this year's Red Crest real quick, because okay. I, so I'm going to be honest, the last, like the last 10 minutes of that tournament were <laughs> maybe like, I would say they were tied with the uh, very end of the Forestwood Cup weigh-in that Gagliardi won, when it was, they overtook Kennedy, and then it was, I think, him and Canterbury and Ashley, like, and Ayler, like, all by an ounce, like, every time for, like, maybe the most exciting 10 minutes of a bass tournament that I've ever seen. Like, it was unbelievable. The tension was unbelievable. And I was so jazzed that Bobby Lane won. That big one he caught earlier, like, I still don't understand how he got it out from under that dock. Um, what was uh, What was it like for you? Man, it was it, just what you said, because you sit there and you look at it, and at the end of the day, fifth place, Andy Montgomery, 24-2. First place, Bobby Lane, 29-14. You're talking about in the last 10 minutes, you've got five anglers that are one bite away. One bite. <clears throat> Excuse me. And those five anglers, you're looking at Clawson, Wheeler, Connell, Montgomery, and then Bobby Lane. Man, every one of those guys know how to close out big events. Clawson, he is your nightmare on big events. He will spoil it in a heartbeat. And and he was less than two pounds from winning. Wheeler, Wheeler's running around, and you had the feeling at any point in time, Jacob was going to do what Jacob always does, and that's pull into the right place, make the right cast, and just dash everybody else's dreams. And Bobby Lane just stayed true the whole week to, to what he was doing, how he was doing. Bobby was cranking the, the back third of a creek 
with a Berkeley uh, fruit size crankbait. And you got that feeling because he changed creeks that last day on championship round. And some of those quality fish started showing up. And you're like, wait a minute. This, this could be his day. When you saw Edwin sort of die out on the jerkbait, Wheeler started to struggle a little bit on the jerkbait. It wasn't as easy. Connell was having some struggles. Montgomery showed us there's some big fish under boat docks, a.k.a. Bobby Lane. Clawson made a couple nice runs, and next thing you know, like, whoa, this thing right here could line up. When he Bobby Lane caught that big one, like, man, this is real. This, this could happen. And then in the last 20 minutes, you're sitting there holding your breath going, who's going to catch that fish? And that fish being the last scoreable. That was insane. Being on the stage and having the energy of the crowd as they were watching on the Jumbotron, I don't know if I've ever had experienced anything like that in fishing, ever. Yeah, because it was was incredible. So I was, you know, I was there working the college registration. And the national championship, like, they had finished registration, and I was, like, sitting editing photos and watching, you know, out of the corner of my eye. And then at some point, like, basically the entire arena was just, like, dead silent (laughs) watching a TV, which was a really incredible experience. Um. It was a it was a curse, Jody. It was um, we've all been a, a fan and part of the sports and the whether it's a Farswood Cup or Bassmaster Classic, there was always that de- delayed gratification. You know, the guys are coming back, they load up the boat, they take them to the Coliseum, they weigh them in. We really don't know who's going to win on these close events, and so we're here at Redcrest. And, and because of COVID and the world that we live in, we just hadn't been able to gather. And now we're all together again. And now we got jumbotrons everywhere, and we've got score tracker, and we have an officials. And that was the first time in my entire life that it actually felt like a sporting event where I, as a casual fan or a hardcore observer, I was getting to see real time what was happening. And it was happening. Yeah. It, so there were a couple of takeaways from that. And I I am I think that some of my thoughts are probably not very good ones, but one thing I kind of wished was that there wasn't an expo that like people were just going to watch, you know? Like we were just all there to watch the tournament live together. And then right. I also on that same vein, I'm not I don't think I'm going to go to a tournament for 8 hours. But man, I would show up with a bunch of people and watch a two-hour tournament. Like, could, should we make the final day shorter? <laughs> you know, like, could we, all, could we all pile into movie theaters and watch intense live bass fishing for two hours? Like, is that crazy? <laughs> oh, no, no. If you, if you give Takahiro Mori the final vote, we'll be fishing a one-hour derby, and he'll be back at the house. <laughs> I've, I've watched this stuff so long now, I almost feel like, especially on the Red Crest, I feel like we could go to two three-hour halves. We could have a three-hour run and then a 30-minute break, and then we could go for the final three-hour run, and it might condense it. And the guys wouldn't be out any fishing per se. You know, they get their ride-through in the mornings, which is a 30-minute ride-through, and we can adjust that time. 
you go to a traditional tournament, like you fish some traditional tournaments at Champlain, you make that big run north or south, pick it. I don't mind. You, oh, yeah. you got I an mean, hour and a half, one you're way. You're burning time. Tied up in the run. All the time. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. So if we did two three-hour halves, man, I think that would condense the red crest and make it even a higher-viewed um, athlete or a sporting event. I, I'm I'm with you on that. Shorten it up. Yeah, because like I know, like I think Red Crest was a pretty big success this year, but it got me thinking. Like, you know, I've got I'm fishing an ABA next weekend at the uh, Thousand Islands, and I could never plug myself in for all eight hours of Bass Live as much as I wanted to. And if it wasn't my job, I don't think I would plug myself in for all eight hours of any of really any tournament because it's a long long time but man if you could on those championship events if you could shorten it down like you could really create some maybe some really incredible live of course you might have a guy run away with it but i guess that can always happen you know right yeah and it it doesn't matter whether we're two hours or whether we're eight hours on these close events it's all about that last 30 minutes and the drama but i'm look i'm all in if I got to work a six-hour day versus an eight-hour day, I'm and I'm getting paid the same. I'm voting with talk. Let's turn this puppy into one-hour afternoon shootout derby, and let's see who can get it done. But no, I think on the marquee events, the, the major events like that, the only pushback you're going to get when you tie it to an expo, if you and I were the vendors, and we were paying to be there vending, and having boots come through the door. We want people there as long as they can be there. Yeah, that's that's true. Um, I will say I don't think anybody bought anything or looked at anything in that last, you know, let's say hour. <laughs> I don't. I've never seen that many people glued to a. I mean, you could have heard a pin drop around that jumbotron for the last thirty or forty minutes until Bobby got that third way and it went two pounds. Then it was a rock concert explosion in there. Yeah, no, that was, that was amazing. So when you probably like specifically, definitely knew all the rules when he was weighing that fish, right? Like you were yep, yep. totally confident the whole yep. time, right? That, that it was going to weigh. Not no. that it was going to weigh, but that he was like, this is how many times he can weigh it. Here we go. Oh yeah. You were, okay. Oh yeah. Yeah. We've seen this unplay, unfold so many times. I mean, every angler is, is allowed three ways. Now, what a lot of people don't realize, let's say on the, let's just say, for instance, on the first, no one would ever do this, but on the first way, it's a two-pound fish, and mm-hmm. and the angler's going, man, I really think that's a two-two, and then the next way goes to one fifteen, and then the next one on the third one goes to one fifteen, and and it, it doesn't work. He's not allowed to go back and take his first weight. Really, it's whatever the last way is called. So if you get to X, Y, Z weight, that's why you hear us on the desk, do not do it because you're going to end up losing some weight. Now, our anglers have now figured out when they get to a two-pounder or 2-1, don't you dare put that thing back on the scales. Because <laughs> if it goes the opposite way, you cannot go back to where it was at. That's how our guys end up losing some weight. Mark Rose is the world's worst, in my opinion, about looking at the fishing <laughs> man, I need to reweigh that one thinking it's bigger. And then he ends up losing an ounce or two. I think Rose has figured out 
just take whatever the weight is because when he puts it back on there, there's about 50% chance that he's going to lose an ounce or two. Theoretically, could Bobby have dipped that fish back in the lake and then put it on the scale? No. Okay. Just a rule. <laughs> but just great question. Uh, actually, there's a rule written specifically in there. The only time an angler is allowed to re-dip that fish is if that angler actually requests the second set of scales to come in because we have a second set of scales and all these scales what a lot of people don't realize every day these officials turn these scales in and every day they get randomly assigned back to them and every evening the scales are recalibrated to make sure they're all equal Mm -hmm. but it's it's a machine and we're around water so every now and then you see the the scales just they fail it's it's a it's a scale and it's around water, and it's a computer. So you'll see the anglers ask, hey, let it, Let me have the second set of scales. As the official's getting out the second set of scales, an angler then can tell the official, hey, I'm going to dip the fish. The official will allow that, and when that fish comes out of the water, if you'll watch, our officials are so good, they make him hold that fish for an extra couple counts to let all that water drip let off. Let drip a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we've already caught the fact that an angler knows that if he dips him in there and throws him right back on the scales, he catches maybe a half ounce break, and that'll be enough to get him that ounce he needs. What did you think about that fish? Do you think it was going to go too? I, I held my breath. <laughs> I, I held my breath the whole time. I probably, Joe, I didn't take a breath during that whole process because I knew it was that close. Yeah, it was. There, I think there was one he caught before, maybe I'm wrong, that was like definitely not two, or right. it, there was one that was definitely over two that got him in position. And I honestly forget exactly the order of appearances, but that one that went two, I had no idea. Yeah. I was right there yeah, yeah. wondering. I'm sitting there looking at it, too, because, I mean, he made this run. He, he caught a fish at 315, another at 322, another at 348, and another at 357. I mean, Bobby made some noise there in that last hour to do what he did. But man, any of these guys, any of the five that I mentioned, whether it was Bobby Lane, Luke Clawson, Jacob Wither, Connell Montgomery, it would have been a class angler winning an absolute great event. But Bobby – Remember previous year in 2021, he had three, I believe, runner-up finishes throughout the year. And I think two of those, I know one of them, Travis, was to Wheeler. I think there was another one thrown in there as well. But Bob had been knocking the door, could not get a break. And then, as they say, it was his time. No doubt. Um, I want to move on from the Bass Pro Tour in a little bit, I guess. but. Okay. What about what about Randall Tharp? He's sitting in the top ten in points, and I feel like that's pretty incredible right now. I'm I'm just like scanning my way through, and a lot of it's like okay, that makes sense, makes sense. And I'm like, holy smokes, Tharp is smashing him. See, in, in the beginning of the year, we did this. I think you ended up writing an article or something. You or yeah, somebody else wrote article. We did we some predictions, picture. and I think you predicted Tharp to win AOI. In the pro circuit. On the tackle warehouse pro circuit. Yeah, which makes a lot of sense. He's yeah, not, but... So I go back, and, and I'm, I'm looking, because you'll hear Randall all the time, man, I'm a, I'm a big five guy. I like the best five, da-da-da-da-da. 
And I'm to the point now, I'm going to look at him next time he says that. No, buddy, you're just full of nonsense. Because when I'm looking at his records, his record is showing that he's a better every fish counts. I'm going to give you, for instance, now in 2021, he had a little bit of a hiccup year. But when we started this, in 2019, he was 30th in AOI. In 2020, he was 17th. In 21, he was 66th. There's the hiccup. This year, he's 5th. I go back and look at uh, FLW and, and Bass finishes the AOI. He had a third on the AOI at Bass in 2016. And then he doesn't have any finishes as high as what he's got right now in the FLW and AOI, 10th to 27th. Randall Thorpe is a very good every fish counts fisherman. He is a really good. And then you look at this year at the Tackleware's Pro Circuit, the circuit I thought he was going to win AOI. He's mid-pack right now. He's only got three checks and no $10,000 checks this year. Like, he's literally sitting 87th in points. He had one of his worst days of fishing ever, maybe, at day two on the Harris chain. I was, like, I was, like, pre-writing how Randall Tharp wins the tournament after he caught, like, 22 or 23 pounds or whatever it was on day one. I'm like, okay, well, we know what's going to happen now. Guess I was wrong. (laughs) The funny thing with these guys, and and we saw it at the beginning early stages of the bass pro tour some anglers are well i'm a better five fish fisherman than the other i'm a better here's what i realized after all these years the great fisherman just give them the rules and and randall's a great fisherman and and sometimes you know this as well as anybody fishermen get in their own head and they they label themselves now I, i look at guys like like Wheeler and Jay Lee and, and Morgan and Kevin and the guys that are up there in the top, they don't label them. They just go out and fish. They, whatever the rules is, they fish. And, and Randall, I think him fishing more events this year, Tackle Warehouse Pro Circuit and the Bass Pro Tour, it's freed him up where he can enjoy fishing. Randall enjoys fishing. Randall enjoys the competition. I mean, he is an – as I've gotten to know him over the last couple of years, he is a very – very intense and intuitive fisherman. Um, but the good ones, the really good ones, just give them the rules. With Wheeler, it doesn't matter whether it's one fish, a half a fish, ten fish, five fish, or every fish. Once you tell him the rules, he's going to go out and perform. I think Randall's getting to that point. Yeah, he might enjoy the five and walking it up on stage, but his record is showing me he's just as good, if not better, at every fish count. Yeah, it seems like he has, you know, he's not running 360 on his boat this year. He's still got live scope. It seems like maybe he's trying to do less. You know, I feel like one of the things, I feel like John Cox is fantastic at doing less and having it work, and maybe he's trying to do the same thing a little bit more this year, whereas maybe in years past, he kind of spread himself out. He told me point blank that 2021 year, the forward-facing sonar was some of his demise. Some of the guys got so caught up in that technology, they forgot the fish. You can sit there, and you, you, I'm sure you've done it, because everybody everybody that I'm talking to, one of these days I'm going to get a boat. I have, I've been boatless all year, first time since I was 17. But everybody I'm talking to on the forward-facing sonar will have said the same thing. It's unbelievable how many fish are in these lakes that you can see. Seeing them and catching them is a completely
completely different thing. Completely. And forward-facing sonar, I've never seen technology advance fishing and make a group of fish accessible like it is. But there's a difference between the guys that really understand that technology and for the guys, as I jokingly say, but there's some seriousness to this, that will be joining the local support groups Monday after looking at that screen all weekend long and not catching fish. Yeah, it really is pretty amazing how many, well, <clears throat> not how, it's pretty amazing how many fish are in any given lake that you just can't catch, or at least right. I can't catch, you know. <laughs> um, I think probably the key to some of Jacob Wheeler's success is he just catches lots of impossible fish. <laughs> when I talk to Wheeler and and Jay Lee, and, and Jay Lee's just now really getting, I mean, he's embracing the technology, but when when I'm talking to the guy, Connell, and those guys that are really good at it, uh, Michael Neal, another one that comes to mind, they tell me time and time again, one of the biggest keys is knowing what fish not to fish for. In other words, they're good enough now with this stuff that they can shine that beam down there and go, I can sit here for two hours, and I know from experience that fish is not going to bite. Let's roll. No doubt about it. Um, all right, let's let's hit pro circuit. We've got okay. uh, Josh Butler leading AOI, which mm-hmm. I would say I don't think anyone, not even Josh Butler, probably pegged that he was going to be leading AOI at this point in the season. But we're here. Right. He is uh, probably – like he's – Barring absolute complete disaster, he's going to qualify for the Bass Pro Tour. Um, yep. What do you What do you think about Butler? Have Have you talked with him much? Like, do you? How much is he the real deal? Because he's right ahead <laughs> of the real deal right now. <laughs> man, I've enjoyed to get to know this young angler from Alabama. Um, he He's solid, man. He You look back, and it was that 2020 season that he had that sort of got him started. There had a good Toyota Series, uh, had a good Toyota Series championship, and then he made the All American in 2021. Uh, rookie season, he was a little aggravated with his finish there. In 2021, he was a rookie. Tackle Warehouse Pro Circuit let a couple events get away from him. I think he finished 63rd overall in the points. But he started out this year in a sixth place finish. And then Harris Cheney was 55th, and Harris Cheney did a lot of guys in as well. And then after that, he's been solid 25 or higher in everything. But you listen to Butler. He gets it. He understands. He's pretty good at everything. He went to James River, a title fishery, the last event we had and had a top 25. And you and I both know that an Alabama angler on the East Coast and a title fishery, that can be pretty tough. He's pre-fishing. He's doing his map study. He's putting in his time. He's got a good head on his shoulder. He doesn't spin out that I can tell. Um, I think he's legit. I think he will do well on the Bass Pro Tour. Here is my only hesitation, and I can go through the whole top ten. When I look at the whole top ten of the AOI standings, and we're heading up to Champlain, the three anglers that have got the most experience with that place is Michael Neal, Justin Lucas, and John Cox. The rest of them, including Butler, have either never been there or only been there one time. 
And that place is so big and so massive. I will give the the advantage, especially to Michael Neal and Justin Lucas in winning that AOY because they have been there. Do I think Butler's capable? 100%. Do I think he's a real deal? Absolutely. Do I think he's going to do well in the Bass Pro Tour? Going to be there a long time, have a great career. Do I think Michael Neal and Justin Lucas are in the catbird seat of where this thing's going and how it's going to finish up? I do. Okay. That's so I kind of I I agree that Neil is really terrifying. I think that Lucas might just have too much of a point gap and he have to beat Neil. Like by quite a few points. And I, I just don't see Neil finishing outside of the top twenty in this tournament. You know what I mean? Sure. And sure. if if that's which and if that's the case, then you know Lucas probably can't get him. You know, <laughs> uh, maybe yep. he could, but um, here's, your, here's your food for thought, Michael Neal. Before the season started, did he finish 105th at Pickwick? Well, you know, he wasn't going to do that. Uh, is what I thought. <laughs> um, I could you? Here's the thing, dude. If if he'd even caught like two more bass, like if he had just done right. not terrible, he'd be leading AOI like probably pretty handily right now. Like, oh yeah, Neil, he'd be right if he was in the top thirty at Pickwick, which that that would be a bad event by Michael Neal's standard. He would almost be the point in the AOI that it would be a foregone conclusion. Yeah, I mean, Michael Neal literally has finished a hundred and fifth, and then his right. worst finish, other than that, is tenth. I mean, he is having Superman had a bad day. He's having one of like the great seasons of all time, and he finished 105th. I mean, mm-hmm. he's finished first, third, fourth, and tenth, and triple digits with one keeper on day two. I, I think it's since June of 2021 he's been no less than um, second in the AOI race over here on the Tackle Warehouse Pro Circuit. I would believe that <laughs> it's got to, I mean, unless, yeah, I mean, I, I would have to look, but like, yeah, I a hundred percent believe. And like, I think going into the year, you know, there was, I think a lot of us picked John Cox to win AOI cause we knew he was going to mm-hmm. fish all of them and mm-hmm. we love John Cox. Um, but I don't think anyone would have been surprised if you said, no, Michael Neal wins it again. And he, he looks like he kind of should win it again, even if he doesn't. You know, it, mm-hmm. it looks like one of those things where you can just be like, well, man, that was unlucky, and say he should have won. Um, but, here, man, what, here's a, your what a season. Here's, here's the curveballs and all this. Butler, didn't have, he's been up there, best I can tell, one time. And yeah, he so practiced. I he, came up, he came up and practiced, but, yeah, he's he's been there once. Michael Neal, now he just blew away St. Clair. And and Michael, I remember talking to him after that event and talking to him a lot in the last couple of years. He'll tell you he is a terrible smallmouth fisherman. Now, terrible by his standards is still better than most. Justin Lucas, I think it, he's got brown scales somewhere on his body. That guy 
understand smallmouth. He had a great event the last time we were there at Champlain when Wheeler won. He's been there multiple times and had good events. If either one of these two guys hiccup, and we've got to remember, unlike the Bass Pro Tour, we only give away 80 points at the Bass Pro Tour. These things, we give away 200 points. So there is a huge potential for swing. So if somebody has a hiccup, Man, it can it can really get interesting in a hurry, and then you also got if you're going to put if you're going to put Lucas in the mix, I don't think we cannot talk about Jacopo Galetti, who finished second last year when we were at Champlain to Jacob Wheeler in the Bass Pro Tour event. Now, some will go, "Wow, that's a far stretch." We're talking about the best five. and he ran all the way down south. So I I, I would make the argument it's not a stretch. And he's not out of it. Yeah, I mean, he's he and Lucas are tied by points. They both have eight sixty three. Yep. You know, there's there's a tiebreaker in there somewhere, but yep. I mean, honestly, it's not going to matter because they're not going to tie at Champlain. You know what I mean? Right. right. So <laughs> if both of them make the top ten and Neil and Butler stumble enough, I mean. I really don't see any reason Jacopo couldn't beat Lucas on the final day. Mm-hmm. Especially, you know, I think, you know, you and I both think that Ty could be kind of sneaky good this year. And yep. I think that, I mean, man, Jacopo, there's a pretty good chance he'll make the run. I, I think. he'll. He's yeah, definitely been down wrong. there enough to be able to practice yep. smartly. Then does the wind let you go? And that's where I go back to my guys that have been there multiple times, Neil, Lucas, Cox. They've been there multiple times. When that wind blows on that lake, and it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Does it blow on the first day, the second day, third day, or fourth day? Blows on the fourth day and you're heading down south, man, somebody's going to have to make an audible and, and drop back and punt. That's where the guys were not as much experienced I think could be behind the eight ball a little bit. So it will be curious, but you got to get to that final day for that to even to be a factor. And I think as we're talking about the bass, I mean, the tackle warehouse pro circuit, the points race, go all the way down to the 10th place. Our buddy there, Nick LeBrun's won two back to back. If he doesn't bomb at the Harris chain with 148th place finish, he might be leading AOI right now. Yeah. Which is kind of wild to think. Cause like Nick LeBrun, I don't, he was never a guy, you know, fishing as a pro who I would have put in an AOI discussion. You know, I think that we've seen him catch him well enough to think that he could win a tournament, and obviously he's won two now, but he didn't seem to have that, you know, year-long consistency, and all of a sudden now he basically can just, you know, make top tens anywhere he wants. Well, I think I, I go back to when I'm looking at these anglers and I look at all careers, the really good anglers, they all have a different time frame where it clicks. Let's remember two years ago, what was, you know, and Michael would be the first one to tell you, what was the knock on Neil? He hadn't won an event yet. Well, now he's winning them and it makes it look easy. He hit that threshold. I look at Wheeler, you know, I go back to 2015. Wheeler was 24th in the points, and if you go back deeper than that, he was somewhere in that 11 to 25th range most of the time in points because he's young and he was maturing as an angler. LeBrun, he wins All-American in 2018. Now we're at 2022. He's had back-to-back wins. He's had some other wins on some other regional circuits as well. 
I, I look at anglers, when do they get that consistency? You know, when you bring the, the new guys over to the Bass Pro Tour or we're looking at the Polaris Rookie of the Years, the thing that does them all in, every one of them, whether it's new guys on the Bass Pro Tour or the Polaris Rookie of the Year, it's the inconsistency. They'll have three or four really good events, and then they'll have two or three that are just complete bombs. As anglers get better and they're more comfortable in who they are as an angler, no matter what geographic region we put them in, they hit that maturing process that now they start catching them border to border, coast to coast. And I think that's where we're at with LeBrun. I think we're seeing the beginning stages of a more consistent angler. Okay. I mean, he's definitely been more consistent. I think the James the James is the one where it kind of... I, I guess with LeBrun, I would like to see a little more. Because Pickwick, I think, was a really great example of the consistency. Right? Like, he figured yep. out a bite down in Bay Springs, and he ran it, and it worked. At Gunnersville. You know, he told me he graphed for like the last two hours of practice and found the winning spot. And right. that doesn't always happen. And then the James, man, that man can fish a cypress tree. Like he he was comfortable there. It yep. was new to him, but that was you know, he was I think just as ready to fish there as he would have been, you know, down on the Red River or Caddo Lake or something like that. You know, mine is the history. He knew what he was doing. But I think Champlain and then I think the St. Lawrence for the title are going to be really interesting events for him. Because he did really well last time at Champlain. But the Champlain, Champlain and the St. Lawrence are really different. Mm-hmm. Maybe he won't win them. But I'll be really curious to see if he can sort of maintain that consistency as he's fishing for a different species of bass. He proved something I've said and I've, I've, I've said it for a long time and and you I think you personally you do an outstanding job on these podcasts I think you're even a better writer and and I, I pick on my writing brethren because I can butcher the English language if you don't believe me ask my <laughs> wife and daughter uh, my English teacher it's bless her heart she's like there's no hope for him but I've always said one of the most overused words in all of bass fishing is pattern and back in when Denny Bauer was fishing in the 70s and they'd bite a black and blue jig from one end of the lake to the next, okay, I can make the argument with pattern. I've, I've always said for the last 15 years, an area beats a pattern every time. And you hear guys talk about, and you hear writers write, well, he figured out a pattern. No, he didn't. These anglers found a really good area, and then they figured out how to catch the fish within that area, a.k.a. pattern. When you look at what you just said about LeBrun, sort of proves my point. And I've said with all these national wins, every one of them, 95% of them are won in an area. I'll give you an example of LeBrun. He won on one point on Gunnersville. It just so happened the last day, all that eelgrass blew in there. The first thing that morning, he really couldn't make those fish bite. Then the eelgrass blew off that point that afternoon. He rolled in there and lit them up. To your point on the James River, he found the magic cypress tree. There was a little swing in the bank, channel swing bank, and for whatever reason, that cypress tree and those two boat docks broke that, and all those postponed fish in that area swam to that tree. When anglers like LeBrun, and it takes maturing to be able to do this, 
when you find the right area, then some magic can start happening. Because areas, and areas, is it a cast area or is it a two-mile area that's got a 500-yard sweet spot in there? Areas are what win tournaments now. It's not running a lake from one end to the next or a river from one end to the next and being able to fish a quote-unquote pattern. Anglers are too good. They're going to pick too many fish off, and you just can't run them. But when you find an area and then understand how to manage the fish and manage the area, and that's what LeBron did in those two cases. Yeah, he really – he seems like he's gotten really, really good. And he probably has always been really good at this, but it seems like he's really good at learning – Learning an area, but learning a spot even. You know, he had, at Gunnersville, he had his, he had, like, basically three different, like, angles, three different casts set up for, you know, ever, for for his three different baits, you know, for his small swim bait, his worm, his big swim bait, to, like, really be, to, to cover that little stretch of ledge just perfectly. You know, he had, like, three different casts, and he knew exactly within like a five foot range on every cast where he was going to get bit at the James. You know, it seems like he's really mastered that ability to, by the end of the tournament, know exactly how to make the best of his spot. You know, completely agree. And I, I'm looking back on just I'll I'll pick on the Bass Pro Tour a little bit as well. When you look back on there, you could probably take that first event that we did at Caney Creek and Darbone and Bussy Break, kind of throw that out because it was an anomaly three lakes. Bradley won, Bradley Roy won on Bussy Break, and everybody was fishing a small lake. But when you go down the rest of the list, Lake Fork, Alton Jones Jr., he won in the back end of a small creek. Connell Smith Lake, he won at the dam. He was making the same kind of cast at what you're talking about, Lil Brune. And and Connell is one of my go-fast guys. We talk about these guys all the time, how much water they can cover. Wheeler, Connell, Jay Lee, Van Dam was the inventor of it. And we, we glorify, which as we should, because what they can do at the rate of speed they do it at is pretty phenomenal. And you've seen it on the water. I've been on the water. But the good ones, Connell, LeBrun, Wheeler, they know, too, how to put the brakes on when they find that area. Bobby Lane, back in of a small, small creek. Ot Depot, that's a heavy hitters event, so that was a little unique. Wiggins, he caught the major- excuse me, he caught the majority of his fish in one or two little creeks at the Lake of Ozarks. Ryan Salzman just won Watts Bar. Same fifty yard place on the dam. Again, goes back to these major events. They're being won time and time and time again in an area, and it's not necessarily a pattern. Yeah. The uh, so this year the Harris chain would kind of buck that trend, right? Yep. Because realistically, I mean, the Harris chain was an odd one because so many lakes played for so many of the top ten, and Greco, you know, he caught all his fish in the final day out of the south end of Apopka, but that's also like a six mile long stretch, um, and then and he was flipping, uh. I'm trying to think. The uh... Michael Neal at Rayburn, he caught. He was out of two ditches. Greco, though, I will make the. When I was watching him, now you were on the water with him. I mean, he had that one area 
maybe it was six miles, maybe it was three miles, but he had that area over there in the Harris team where he made a calculated move to go to that last day. Canada, I didn't watch much. And yeah, I was, Canada, Canada I was, was an area. He was, he, yeah. he was fishing maybe a, I don't know, a, a mile long bar of stumps, you know, and it was a, it was a pattern cause he was doing the same thing at every stump. Right. And he had a right. hundred of them marked. Uh, and I guess he maybe could have gone up or down. Um, but he kind of can't, he kind of lived and, you know, he'd come off plane and pretty much be within a mile there all day long, every day, as far as I can tell. Um, that's why I go back, man. These, we, we glorify the guys that cover a lot of water as we should, but I think the general public doesn't realize that when these guys get an area dialed in, then the AKA pattern, they figure out how to catch the fish within the area. And then the pattern starts unfolding. But to me, when you're talking about pattern in the area, when I'm talking about a pattern, I'm able to take that. It's the first boat dock in the pocket, and I can run dam to dam and make these fish bite. That day is really gone to past. But I think anglers now, when they find an area, whether it's a 50-yard stretch, a 500-yard stretch, or a two- to three-mile stretch, and they understand the fish, bait fish movement, and how they position and relate to cover and the bite windows within that area, that's when anglers get really dangerous and have the potential to win. I uh, I like it from the on the AOI side of things. Still, do yep. you? We're gonna theoretically the top ten are gonna graduate to the Bass Pro Tour after this year, yep. and that's right now. That's uh, Butler, Galelli, Mitch Crane, Shuffield, Hunter, Bragg, uh, John Cox. Who knows with John yep. Cox? <laughs> Uh, and then Nick LeBrun, and then Jacob Wall is 11th, and Justin Cooper is 12th. Matt Becker is 13th. Gray Buck is 14th. Um, Jeff Reynolds, 15th. Uh, your boy. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. What, I guess, it making that top 10 is going to be really hard. And, like, I think that Matt Becker is going to make it, but I don't want to be like, oh, well, you know, John Hunter, definitely not, because he's had a great season. <laughs> Um, are there any particular prospects in that group who you're really excited to see fish at the Bass Pro Tour level and fish that style more? Boy, every one of them you just mentioned, I hate we're only taking 10. Um, and because Neil and Lucas... Well, it'll be less than 10 because, you know, Neil, Lucas, I skipped over, uh, I skipped over some guys. We're only going to, we're going to have eight anglers, basically, and they're all... There, and I look at that top 15 that you just mentioned. So what we've got now is 12, 13 really good anglers buying for eight more spots. Becker will drive his truck off a bridge if he doesn't make it. And, he and is, Becker has yeah. had, he's 13th place. He's had some really good finishes at Champlain, and he, like Buck, have had some bombs at Champlain. But they fished it quite a few times. So if you fish a place enough you're going to have a bad tournament or two in there matt becker's number one goal number one goal going into this season was make it to the bass pro tour and i think i think matt becker's already a superstar in the sport i think when he gets to the him and sheffield when they get to the bass pro tour i don't think there's going to be any any hiccup at all 
I think they're going to be somebody's worst nightmare over there. I think they're going to steadily finish in the top 20, top 10 over there. Becker and Buck, though, they probably got the most ground to gain. I know Reynolds really wants to get to the Bass Pro Tour in his rookie season out here, and he's going to spend some extra time at Champlain. But when you look at the guys on the outside, Jacob Wall, Justin Cooper, Matt Becker, Gray Buck, Jeff Reynolds, then when you go inside for them to move in, who's going to fall out? That's the thing. Like It's hard to pick one of those guys and be like, oh, (laughs) they're going to do bad. Because, one, they've had a great year, and like – Mitch Crane does the impossible all the time. You know, I don't care. I don't particularly care that Mitch Crane hasn't caught smallmouth amazingly well to this point. There's largemouth in Champlain. You know, his boat goes 80 miles an hour. He can go get to him. He's a dentist and he's fishing. Uh, He's so funny. I mean, Doc is just a breath of fresh air. And I think him being so new to the sport as well. I mean, he only started competitive bass fishing in 2016. So, obviously, he's a quick study. Again, I'll go back. Wall, Cooper, Becker, Buck, Reynolds all have legitimate shots to make it. Every one of them got a legitimate shot. But for that to happen, who's going to fall? LeBrun's only won the last two in a row. John Cox. John Cox does not make a living falling out of nothing. No. Josh and Bragg. he crushes okay. at Champlain. Yeah. Josh Bragg, second year out there, you know, um, 2012-14 fishing college. But, man, he's been pretty solid this year. Second place, 91st. That was a hiccup at Harris Chain. Several guys can say that. Been 35th or higher the rest of the time. Solid year. Hunter, you said it. He's put together a good season. He's been there twice. Sheffield is still forever more pissed off right now what happened at James River. You can forget it, pencil him in. He's going to the Bash Pro Tour. Oh, yeah. I, I think there's a really good chance he wins Champlain. Like, I, I just... Mm-hmm. he's so due to win one of these things. Yep. Yep. So I, I'm looking at five really good anglers that are below the top 10, but I'm having a hard time moving anybody out. But again, we're on a 200 point swing on this thing here. So if you have a hiccup, it could be, do not show up at those scales at Champlain and got 12 pounds. You yeah, just, it doesn't, you, that doesn't you're in well. trouble. Yeah. No, you're in trouble. You really are. And then the unknown, the biggest unknown with that place is the wind and the weather. You can be on the greatest load of fish and never get to fish them. So I, I think that's where I, – I really think that's where Becker and Buck are going to have a little bit of an advantage over the rest of the guys that are trying to push in because they understand these lakes. They understand the weather. They understand where they can and can't go based upon the winds. Um I'm going to give them a, a pretty big advantage. I think this is a window. Bucks, just like Becker, both of them want to be on the Bass Pro Tour. Both of them are good enough to be on the Bass Pro Tour and compete at that level. Um, I think it's a, a big, big event for both of those young anglers. Yeah. I think one good, one sort of plus about uh, Buck and Becker as well is that they're both for this one, I suspect North end guys. Um, yeah. And when it comes to smallmouth, they are incredible at that. Like there, there's a, there's a reason they catch them so good up North and it's because they're awesome at catching smallmouth. And if, if tie is important, like we think it might be, well, maybe that's not 
the ticket for a win, but man, there's going to be a lot of top 20s made with, you know, 15 brown fish. And yep. those guys are like really, really good at doing that. Yeah, and I think if either one of them, if any, both of them are in the top 20, I think they're going to the Bass Pro Tour next year. I really do. I think that'll be the that'll be the ticket on that too again but we go back to that 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 all important weather you're right if it blows and they're north they've got an advantage and for ty to be a factor in this event there's only one day it really has to be a factor and that's that championship day when we zero the weights out and guys can get down there to them yeah. um one, how many events have you covered on that place where you can make that run four days in a row well, I've covered some events where guys made the run four days in a row, and it amazed me. Uh, <laughs> there was there was one a couple of years ago. There was a Toyota Series event that uh, I guess Thrift won, and there were like I don't know, gosh, like three footers or four footers, like at Plattsburgh. They were like right. six footers at the north at the north end of the inland sea, like going into Missicoy. It took me like twenty minutes to go from like out of the Alberg Passage to the Missicoy oh. Bridge to get up to Thrift. Like it was insane. And uh, I think Kurt Mitchell caught like a pretty big bag out of tie that day, and I have no idea how he survived. Um, but yeah, it's definitely it can get hairy. Um, one guy who I think could mess some things up for some of our like Bass Pro Tour, you know, aspiring guys is okay. Dakota Ebert. Because he's sitting seventeenth in the points. Yep. He and Kyle Hall made the top ten easy in the Toyota series event last summer. He has spent like a sneaky large amount of time on Champlain. Um I think uh man, he is so good at live scoping fish. And I like he would have given, I think based on how he was catching them, I think he would have given a lot of guys in the Bass Pro Tour event last year a run for their money. I think he's like got this, he's had this one circled on a calendar since the schedule came out. And if he wins it or if he top fives it, man, that's a lot of points he picks up right there. That's a great point because now instead of it, 15 or 13 anglers going for eight spots because Dakota's going to be back in, obviously, again next year on the Bass Pro Tour because he's had a great year on both circuits. But, yeah, um, it'd be 13 man, for seven. He, just, or... he would throw a really big monkey wrench in a lot of planes. Yeah, and then, you know, like Bobby Lane and Skeet Reese are right there too and Chris Lane. And, you know, honestly, any of those guys could make a top 10 at Champlain. Like, it wouldn't be some kind of surprise. So... Sure. It's a. It, I'm not going to say it doesn't matter how well Matt Becker does or how well Gray Buck does, but it it might not. You know they 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 might just. Well, I guess. I guess math math wise, you make the top twenty five and you let everybody else do whatever they do. Their their destiny. Yeah. Every one of these guys rentals up. Their destiny is in their own hands. If you go up there from 15th up, whoever from 15th higher is in the top 25, they're going to the Bass Pro Tour, maybe top 30. You finish outside the top 30 in this one, now your destiny just got in control by what a lot of other anglers can do, and that's not a good feeling as an angler. 
Yeah, no, no doubt. Um, all right, I got it. We got to talk rookie of the year, and then maybe, I mean, we'll probably talk about other stuff because, you know, we always talk about stuff. But <laughs> uh, this year for rookie of the year, I'll quick read off our top ten. Um, yep. Nick Hatfield, he's in twentieth overall. Andrew Loberg, twenty sixth overall. Uh, Blake Hall, forty seventh. Philip Dutra, forty eighth. Martin Villa, 49th. Keith Carson, 66th. Sean Goodwin, 76th. Jeff Bridges, Andy Newcomb, Cole Hewitt. Um, mm-hmm. I guess, maybe off the bat, which rookies have really stuck out to you this year? Because, to me, it's kind of like all of the top three. Or, I guess, sorry. It's all of the top four. Especially mm-hmm. our Hatfield and our two Western guys. But, I'm all ears. Yeah, Hatfield, I got to talk with him for the first time ever uh, when we were doing some right, of the Gunnersville, the Gunnersville event. Yeah, and I was really impressed. I was because you look at his resume; he's been strong outside of Gunnersville as well. Said the right things. He's got the right mannerism in the boat. You know, like all rookies, they're gonna they're gonna have their moments of inconsistency. I think Nick. I think he's legit. Uh, I think um, if you threw him on the Bass Pro Tour tomorrow um it would be a little bit of a struggle for the consistency side of that but you can make that argument for any rookie i think he's got a bright future i think he's in really good shape to win this rookie of the year and i'm going to be curious to watch his career as it develops as it continues to get to that point of more and more consistent andrew loberg man i I fell in love with this young angler right after the harris chain and that good event not only the youth and the energy uh, and the excitement, but the freshness of his fishing. You know, so, so many of these California anglers that get to the East Coast and there's that big learning curve. I remember I remember sitting down with Skeet Reese after his rookie season. I think we had two events. We're hanging out at the Waffle House eating because that's what broke anglers do. They ate at the Waffle House. And I was buying his meal, so that shows how broke he was. And he was done. He's going home, never coming back east again. And I talked him into fishing Megabucks the next event. He had a good finish. And then, as I say, the rest is history. Hmm. Loberg, I think, is ahead of the learning curve for guys that are coming east. I think he's got some very, very good sticking potential. Again, the thing that just throws you off is the in, the, the inconsistency. I remember last year with Justin Cooper. Cooper was either ninth or higher, or he was ninth. He was like, golly. So what I look for on the rookie of the year is I look for what's their ceiling. Cooper last year gave me three top tens. So that showed me his ceiling's pretty high. Now, when do they clean up the inconsistency? When do they turn that 90th place finish into a 30 or 40, you know, what I call have a business day. Instead of having a bomb, you're, you're making a pretty good check. That's what you look for on the rookies. And then the other one, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw a little curveball to you, Martin Vila. Got to know him after the James River. Got to know him a little bit at Gunnersville. I really like this young angler. What a lot of people don't realize about Martin is full-time brick mason. So we're at the James River. The Tackle Warehouse Pro Circuit, they have an off day. I used to call it the old man's day, which I loved it. They practice two days, and then they have an off day. Lake gets to breathe. They get, everybody gets to get their tackle and everything ready. Martin left on his off day, went home and laid brick. He's a brick mason by trade. Yep. There was another brick mason by trade back in the 70s. He was in Camden, Missouri. 
uh, little guy by the name of Denny Brower. Some people might have heard of him. I've it worked him. out pretty well. It worked out pretty well. I'm not saying Martin Villa is the next Denny Brower, but when you take some time and you dive into Martin Villa, the person, one, solid person, two, has a really good grip on fishing. When I started looking at his BFL resume around the Piedmont, Shenandoah, mm-hmm. and and that's the same area where Dudley and some of the, and some of the others have come out of, it's solid. It, so when I look at a really solid BFL resume and a Toyota Series resume, and you're having success on a national trail, and oh yeah, right now you've got the limiting factor of a full time job. If he ever gets to where he can free up a little bit more time and concentrating solely on bass fishing. I think he's got a pretty high ceiling. Yeah. I So I met him for the first time, I guess, back in 2020. Uh, okay. He almost won a Toyota Series event at Norman. And yep. it was it, it was one of those things where I'm like, well, man, this guy is just kind of different. Like, he, is, he has a different demeanor than a lot of pros. And yep. he kind of fished different than everyone else in that tournament. And I've continued to watch him fish a little bit differently than almost everyone else out there with success um and i I think that's the kind of thing that goes a long way like he's you know he's a he's a brick mason who loves to pick up a spinning rod you know he can he can do all sorts of different things i i think that i think you're right that he's a real interesting prospect have you ever talked about fly fishing with him and about trout and salmon Oh, yeah, and he loves to saltwater fish with a fly rod as well. When he got rid of through at the Potomac, which he hung a top 10 at Potomac, and never showed up for a day of practice. And that's pretty hard to do in that place. I get it. Yeah, he's a James River guy. He understands title. But then when he got through that event, he immediately had some time off. He was somewhere out in saltwater. He sent me some texts. Hey, I'm catching this on a fly rod. I mean, he is, and those fly fishermen, they understand current 10 times better. In yeah. any of those freshwater guys, they get it. Yeah, I, I agree that the the fly fishing kind of aspect to him, and just sort of the multi species aspect. Not that there's a there's a lot of guys who you know like to do other things, but he seems like really passionate about catching basically any fish that swims, and I, I think that that could serve him really well. But I think you're right; like he's gonna come to a point where he'll need to decide if he wants to, you know, continue to work construction and have like a really stable, like good career. Cause he's got a young family or if he wants to chase bass fishing, like more and more, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And that's a hard decision. And, and it's, it's hard. I don't care what time frame we go back from the seventies all the way to now. I mean, now these anglers are probably winning more money faster than it's ever been done in the history of sport, but it's also costing more, right? especially right now. And, yeah. and you look at a guy like him, as far as the, the building side goes, the brickmason side goes, I, and I've asked him how far behind was and he's like months. So the income is steady, and from my understanding, too, he's a pretty good brickmason, so there's a lot of money to be made. Man, that's a hard call. You've got a young family. You've got a steady job. You're really good at this fishing gig, but you're even better at this Brick Mason thing. I am glad I am not in his shoes. I think he'd be successful because most guys like him that work construction and are good at it 
they have a different gear. And what I mean by different gear is they're not scared of a 12 to 14 hour day. Well, if you're going to be successful in bass fishing, you better be fishing 12 to 16 hours a day. I, I remember growing up and, and I'm out on the tour and I'm early all the way out until he retired. And, and I'm, I'm a dear friend with him and I'm considered a privilege. And that is with Brower. So I'm picking on him a little bit. The thing that jumps out to me, and there was a thousand things that I could talk about with Denny, but even until the year he retired, and it drove me crazy, I could never beat him to the ramp, and I never stayed later than he did. I accused him on many occasions of spending the night on the island because there was no way on God's green earth he got to that ramp that early and stayed that late. <laughs> and that's after I put in a 14 to 17-hour day. I couldn't get to the ramp before him, nor could I leave later than him. And that was someone that was deep into his career. So when you look at the guys that work in structure and self-employed, they understand failure is not an option and you got to put in the time. So the work ethic is there. Whatever he decides to do, he's going to be successful. But I think a lot of anglers, especially young ones, you don't realize the time it takes to be good out here on the ter- on these trails until you start fishing them. I hear you. Um, one of the so we talked about Loberg a little bit. One of the things that's impressed me was his Central Division events this year. Now yep. he finished 108th at Chickamauga, which is not ideal, but he finished 73rd at Dale Hollow. He'd probably never been there before. He finished 10th at Gunnersville, which had like. 330 boats in it like it was unbelievable and you know 25th overall which he kind of basically put up top tens like it was you know easy out west and then he came over and he fished a really big division in the east probably didn't spend as much time practicing as he normally would have like i'm not saying he did perfect right he could have done better at chick but i feel like he's He's got that – it's like more proof that he's got the full, well-rounded makeup, you know. Um, well, completely agree with that. I mean, you're sitting here looking just on the on the Major League Fishing side, 50 events, 18 top 10. That's pretty stout. And he's got those four wins. A lot of that was Twitter series out west. Here's what young anglers run into. They want to fish all the time, and they want to fish quantity of events. And, and that's a great thing. Uh, Dakota Ebert is a perfect example of that. I mean, he's already, he's under 30. He's already got a hundred career events. So they want to fish all the time, but where the balance is and what they learn is, and it's fun to watch like Defoe and Wheeler and Jay Lee where they're at in their point of the career. And I'll even put junior in there as well is what's the balance fish more events or be really, really prepared for the events that you fish. So the balance as an angler that you look for is what is that number? What is that max number of events that you can fish and truly be prepared for them as you get ready to fish them? And I think it's a, an individual. I don't think there's a, a book answer that you and I can go to chapter 12, you know, subtitle X, page 9, that it says an angler has to fish this many events. I think it's different for every angler. Um, but younger anglers like Loberg, which I applaud them, they're all over the place. They're fishing Toyota Series, probably fishing BFLs, fishing Tackle Warehouse Pro Circuit. You need that You need that game time. 
you need that time on the water on the clock to get better and better and better. But you reach a point in time in your career as those young angels going, you know what, through history I've seen if I'll fish 15 to 20 events and really prepare for those 15 to 20, that's probably my cap somewhere in there. So it'll be, it'll be fun to watch him as he figures out that process. I like it. What about, you know, you picked Andy Newcomb for your rookie of the year back in whenever we did these. And he's not doing terrible. Like, he's had some, you know, pretty solid high points. Um, Yep. But he's also not really on track to to, uh, make the title. You know, I I don't think he would probably tell you that this first year has been, like, a roaring success. What's your your vibe on uh, the Ozark sensation? Going to be around a long time. Going to be around a long time. It kind of reminds me of Josh Butler in his first year. You know, Butler was 60-something or another. I had it here in my notes. I think he was 61st his rookie year. Man, it gets fast out here. It gets – you've been around this a long time. And what I mean by that is the events happen back-to-back. There's a lot going on. Guys catch them better than you think they would. He's sitting in 81st in points. It's not a – not a great place to be, but it's not horrific either. You know, you look at this rookie season that he's had, and it's it's been okay of that. You know, he's had a he had a bomb um, at the last one at the James River. He's from the Lake of the Ozarks. Tidal fishery is just different. He had a bomb at the Harris Chain with 95th place finish. It's Florida. He is so good though. Before he got to us. You can't fish the way he's fished in those Toyota Central divisions. Well, not really in Central, but in the Plains, and then doing all the things he did in the BFLs and the Ozark division. You can't be that good and that consistent and not be pretty good nationally. It takes some time. It does take some time. But I think he's got sticking power. I think he's going to be around a long time. I've talked to him several times. He's got a great head on his shoulder. Funny story with him, and it always gets back to Broward. He was, when Denny was living in Camden, Missouri, Andy, in his youth, was waiting tables at a restaurant that Denny would frequent on often occasions. Shows either how young Newcomb is or how old Denny was, either or. But I think I think he'll flush this year. I think he'll learn from it. Um, when you throw a Florida and a tidal water in for a Missouri angler, that's a lot, and that goes back to the point it gets fast out here. You can have bad happen quickly, but you can get on a Nick LeBrun run, and it happens quickly. So you got to be able to understand fast. Newcomb, I bet you this year he'll come back home, he'll fish some Toyota Series, he'll fish some BFLs, he'll realize that he doesn't need to sell all his rod and reels, that the world's going to be okay, he can still catch them, and now learn how to catch fish outside of the comfort zone of the Missouri area. Understand how to catch them north. Understand how to catch them in tidal fisheries. Understand the nuances that go on down in Florida. And then add that to the talent he's already got. I think he's top shelf talent. Yeah, one nice thing for him is, so in 2021, between the Ozark Division and yep. the Plains Division, he made, I let's see, he made over $110,000. Mm-hmm in like just winnings um that's like he didn't come into this year i mean i don't know his life but he 
he probably has he doesn't have to worry necessarily about like man I am out of money I can't do this anymore right he can yeah. he can keep pushing his chips in for another year another two years probably and find that success which I I mean I agree I think he's gonna hit it you know I think that he he's he was too good not to you know what I mean yeah too good for too long it, it's been sustained success again I I go I really think what we have over here in Major League Fishing is just it's it's one of the best building system building blocks and and Newcomb wasn't a part of this but when you you look at anglers and we're going to be able to track this the further we get along with time that go from high school to college to where to me where it really meets the road is the BFLs Toyota Series now the Tackle Warehouse Pro Circuit and then the Bass Pro Tour his stops on the BFLs and the Toyota series, they're solid. They're solid. That, to me, it's the minor league baseball. He did really good in single A, did really good in double A. Now he's up in the triple A. Man, and I'm a baseball junkie. It, there's very few guys that hit that triple A in the very next year they're in the majors. Those are rarities. It's no different fishing. It takes a little while. It takes a while to get used to all the travel, all the places, in the speed in which everything happens. No, no doubt about it. I think that I've pretty much asked or thought about like everything that I had in mind to, is there, I wanted to maybe talk about, you know, some of the highlights from like lakes we've seen so so far or something like that. But is there anything else that you feel like we're missing? You know what I mean? (laughs) Man, if we're missing, we'll just do another call. (laughs) I like it. Um, well, in that case, I think we'll probably just call it a day and, you know, make sure that, you know, we've got ICAST going on and that's definitely cool, but it's also not, you know, people actually catching fish. Uh, but we've got Champlain right after that, and there's going to be a lot of fish catching there. Is there anything, you know, you want to plug or promote? Like, you know, I, I asked this last time, but you know, now's the time. Man, I, I'm gonna I'll give a teaser. Chad McKee calls it a TV teaser. I've got a project that I'm getting ready to launch this fall. You'll know it when you see it, and I'm hoping it's going to be a game changer. Okay, that is a big tease. <laughs> I guess we'll uh, we'll stay buckled in. Um, when when we when I launch it and it goes, then we need to get back on this thing and do another call and go. What is it? Why did you do it, and how do you think it's going to benefit others? All right. Well, Marty, we'll uh, we'll book it, and hopefully we'll talk sometime before then. Because now that I'm out, now that I'm out of Kyle, I need to like keep finding more people to talk about fishing with, and uh, I'm going to be bugging you more often. Um, I mean, man, I'm not Kyle. I'm not. I'm not as good as him. I understand, and man, we're going to miss him dearly. But all you got to do is pick up the phone and ask, and I'm all in. All right. Well. Marty, as always, uh, thanks a bunch. If you're going to Florida, I guess, uh, stay cool. Um, have a good time. If you're not going to Florida, I hope you catch a bass or two in, in between. And uh, I can't wait to finish the season. Man, Jody, it's always a pleasure. Had a lot of fun in this. Look forward to doing it again. 